Amen. Um, again, I'm glad you're able to be here if uh, you're visiting and, and checking us out. And even just moving in the morning, it might be a little more convenient time. I know it is It is for me. This has been a, a long time coming. We, uh, it's been almost two years that we've been meeting at 6 p.m. in this space. And so we, uh, and we're, we were the fourth church that used it. Um, and so you can imagine uh, it was a little, little messy, a little, little warm, a little stale, uh, a little sweaty in here by the time uh, everyone else got out. And so now we get the fresh building, um, which is always nice. Um, anyway, so glad you're here. Those of you who don't know me, my name is, my name is Brian, pastor here at Lower Town, and and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna jump jump in. Um, Paul asked that question about um, you know your favorite food at the state fair, and I, I I like state fair food. I mean everything's deep fried, right? I mean if it's not deep fried, what's the point of eating it? I guess when you go to the state fair, right? Go big or go home, or get big and go home. Um, uh, I love chili. Uh, my wife makes fun of me a lot for this, but I, I absolutely love chili. I don't care what kind of chili it is. I don't care if it's from Wendy's or, or from, from Grandma. I love chili, and I don't care what time of the year it is. I don't care how hot it is. There's something about chili that I just love, uh, and I can't, I can't get enough of it. Actually, as I was preparing this sermon, we actually, uh, years ago when I was at my father-in-law's church, uh, we did a chili cook-off, and my mother-in-law, who's here, she actually won, and then the next year, my wife won, um, and so they were like, you know, the judging, it's rigged, you know, all that kind of stuff, but, and as I was doing it, I was like, why don't we do that, you know, so, so we're gonna, in October, we're gonna do a chili cook-off, because uh, I love chili, and I, I can't get enough of it, but what I, what I enjoy about chili, um, there's a lot of different things, but it's, it's just comfort food. It's just, it's warm. You can add a lot of different things. It can be hot. It can just not be, you know, spicy or whatever. But, but you have all these different ingredients that just come together, right? Whether it's beans, and, and I think chili has to have beans, and it has to have meat, um, and not, not, the, not this white chili. I don't even know what that's all about, um, uh, right? But you have all these different ingredients that you, that you, that you come, and it all comes together, and it's, and it's delicious, but you, you can just, you can take a bite of something, maybe just get a, a spoonful of beans, and it's, and it's really good, and then a spoonful of meat, and that's good, and all these different flavors and ingredients come together, and I, and as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about chili, and I was thinking that that's, this is what the church actually should look like. The, the church should look like a bowl of chili, if, if you will, um, that there should be different people with different backgrounds and different demographics and, and different ethnicities that we come together, and we can worship the same God, um, and so that's really what we're going to be looking at Today, this is actually the last uh, series, last uh, last sermon in the series that we've been going through in the summer of "Hey, I have a question," and and so it's been an interesting series. These are just questions that were fielded um, by the by the pastors, and then just from from people uh, in the congregation of just questions that we have. And so we we've looked at a variety of different questions, and and uh, today though is is a little heavy. So I you know if you're visiting, uh, this is this is where we're at. And this is where we're talking about um, what steps is hope taking in response to gospel and race conversations in the past. And so just a little bit of background. Um, so so this, is the, this is the question, and my goal today is to answer this question. My goal this morning is not to uh, talk about the evils of racism, okay? It's, it's evil, okay? I'm gonna, we're going to look at Scripture. I think it's going to become self-evident within Scripture that who God is and how he cares about all people. But what I'm really hopefully trying to do is what, what are we doing as a church? What are the steps that we can do? And if you're visiting and you say, I'm not part of hope, that's okay. Then, then you can internalize it. Then we're going to look at three different aspects and of looking at it globally, locally, and then individually. Um, uh, the, the, this comes off the heels of the last two years, we had a, a conference where a gentleman, Dwayne Bond, he's a pastor in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, came to Hope 
And they did a long, uh, we did a big, big, he had a big talk. It was a, a weekend long conversation of, of uh, we are a predominantly white church here in Lower Town as well as downtown uh, Minneapolis. And, and just hearing a perspective from an individual who, who is not uh, white and being able to hear his uh, introduction of the gospel and how we can uh, better interact with, with people of color and, um, and be welcoming to that. And, and so it was a really, really awesome conversation, but that's really all it was. And, and yes, it, 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 it spurred on some, some things and some meetings and different things that we did. And, and I'm for sure our elders, we met uh, multiple times um, talking about what are, what are the next steps within this. Um, we had recently Tyler St. Clair, a friend of mine and from Detroit, Michigan came and he did a seminar on, on uh, a church in hard places. Uh, that we were able to go to. And, and I would not call St. Paul, at least this neighborhood of St. Paul, a hard place. But there's things that I was able to learn from Tyler and, and, and take that to the next step of, of uh, and, and whatever that may be. And so, but the thing is, these are, a lot of them are just conversations, right? What, what are some tangible things that we can do? And so that's, that's what I want to look at. So today, first and foremost, we're going to look at scripture. What does the Bible say? Um, who is God and how is he, uh, how is he concerned about all peoples, um, not just us or me? And uh, we're going to look at this on a global aspect, a local aspect, and then an individual. And uh, look at all these different ways that we can become more engaged on this idea of not just like anti-racist, which is true, but unity. Unity within the church and without the church and inviting more people in that maybe aren't, aren't like us. So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and this is um, the unity uh, Paul's teaching on the unity in Christ. And so Ephesians chapter 2 says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Okay, so he's got the, he's talking to, there, there are religious people out there, or not religious, maybe they are, but, but Jewish individuals, and then the Gentiles. Gentiles simply means any other race or ethnicity that's not Jewish. So anybody in here who doesn't have Jewish blood, this is you. Re you remember that formerly you, Gentiles, by birth, are called uncircumcised. You're, you're, you're not part of the in crowd of the Jews by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done by human hands. Moving on to verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Right? You, you were not near, near to Christ because you were not part of this ethnicity, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God and the world. There was no hope for the majority of us in this room. I, don't, I mean, I don't know everybody in here, but I, I don't know if anybody has Jewish background. Does anyone have maybe Abrams? Is Abrams, is that a Jewish descent? No? Oh, okay. Abram, Abrams, I guess not. Um, but so, so that's everybody, right? Everybody in this room, right? Just that, that's us. We, we were without hope because we were simply not an Israelite. And then he says, but now, right? Something's changed. Something in the covenants that were of old, something's changed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is something I'm sure I've brought up before, but this is a, a picture of the, um, the temple 
uh, an artist rendition of the Temple Mount where uh, Herod's temple would have been. So this would have been the, the layout when Jesus would have gone. And so you can, you can see that, that right, the bigger court there, it says court of women. And in that court, it wasn't just like women only. That was Jewish men and women were allowed to go in there. And then there's this tiny little court, court for Israel, but that was just Jewish men. And then when you get past that, then it was only Jewish male priests. And then when you get into the temple, and specifically the Holy of Holies, only on one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, could a Jewish male high priest enter into that space. Okay, so that, that was the court. If you were a Gentile, you weren't allowed in here. You were allowed in the court of the Gentiles on the outside of that. And you could, you could hang out there, but you were not allowed inside the temple walls. And matter of fact, there were signs posted on all the doors and entrances into, this, into the temple that would say, if you're a Gentile, we are not responsible for what God does to you when you enter in here. All right, it was just this, these warning signs all over the place that if we were to go back 2,000 years, none of us in this room would be allowed to walk into that temple. And what it's saying and what Ephesians and what Paul is saying is that Jesus in his blood tears down that dividing wall of hostility and makes the two groups one. So then, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, right? that's, that's religion, that I'm going to do all these things and therefore that will make me more spiritual. But he's saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus set all that aside. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. All right, the Gentiles and the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So that's his, that's his teaching, if you will, on this, on this unity, that there shouldn't be disunity. And at the same time, he does not say anywhere in here that Gentiles, in order to be part of the in-group, you need to become Jewish. Or Jews, you need to become non-Jewish. No, he's saying you, you keep your identity as, a, as an individual, as a human, as your, as your ethnic group, but we become one, unified under the cross of Jesus Christ. So now... I want to look at Paul's prayer. I want to spend the rest of the time that we're given just focusing on this idea of Paul's prayer in the unity that we have in Christ. He says this in Ephesians chapter 3, 14, 4 through 6, and this is the verses that, that Paul read. It says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay, so he's talking about unity. I want unity to be in the church. There shouldn't be these different groups and parties and, and people. They should all be able to come together under the same roof and worship the same God. And he says, for that reason, for unity's sake, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. All right, so he's praying here now. And this is his prayer for the church. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That this is something that he's praying for is the spirit of God to work. That this is not just our own doing. That we can't just strategize to try to fix racism within our culture and within our, our community and within our church. We need the power of the Spirit to help us. Scripture says that unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. And so we can labor and labor and labor. But if we don't pray about this, if we don't ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to influence us, we've lost it. 
We've just become a yacht club, except I don't, nobody in here probably owns a yacht, but you know what I'm saying. We need the supernatural power of God's spirit to destroy the hostility that comes so naturally to us in the flesh. We need that. That's what we should be begging God and, and praying the way that, that Paul is praying for unity in the church. We should be doing the same exact thing because racism is natural. I think every one of us struggles with it in some way, shape, or form. Even if we don't, there are some things that we just simply do that we would be bent towards that certain way. Maybe it was the way we were raised or, or just the, the, the way we grew up and the neighborhoods we grew up or whatever it may be. But racism is, is natural to us. Sin is natural to us. Feelings of supremacy are just natural. And so therefore we need something supernatural to contradict and overpower those natural inclinations. So we cannot labor in vain the Lord must build it, and he must build this church, and he builds it on the cross of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we can see costly love. Verse 17, so that Christ, so why, why do we do this? Why do we have this power of the Spirit? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established and love, grounded, rooted in love. And there could probably be some cool illustration on, I mean, this is what roots are, and it's all, this is a really cool thing. Trees are cool and roots are cool. We all get it, okay? Rooted in this, right? Deep faith within this established love of God that we need to have costly love like Jesus. Jesus' love for us, for his bride, for his church didn't come without cost, it cost him his life. It cost him everything. And we can look at the love of Christ and the costly love of Christ and look at this and say, this is completely other and otherness about this love, that we have the Holy One. We have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who then gives his life for sinners. We have the creator of the entire universe that gives his life for his creation. Everything about what we should be doing is rooted in that love of Christ, that costly love. And therefore, our love for one another should also be costly. It shouldn't just be comfortable and easy. We just spent a long time going through 1 Peter. And there's if one theme that's over and over in 1 Peter is that if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. So then, this might be a way of suffering, of setting our preference aside for those individuals that need to be cared for. Uh, I love how Doug Logan put this. He's a pastor in Camden, New Jersey. Um, he said this, we, we need to have a posture of humility, of gentleness, and caring about someone who isn't like you, even if they don't like you. <laughs> I mean, that phrase, I write that, that, that's hard. That's costly. That there are, might be individuals outside of this, and I, I don't care what color their skin is, I'm talking outside of this that might look at us and say, I'm, I'm hostile towards you because you're a church, because you're a Christian, whatever it may be. And yet we are still called to care and love for those individuals, even if they don't like us. We need to have a posture of humility, of gentleness, and caring about someone who isn't like you, even if they don't like you. So then, this last little point here is the full measure. Verse 18, so after all that, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being rooted in the love of Christ, this is still his prayer, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high the depth of love, the love of Christ is. 
that when we look at the love of Christ, that it, it's so massive and it, and it covers everything and every sin and every people group that's ever existed. In verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right? I, I love this verse. Actually, every year I read these verses uh, with our students when I teach our systematic theology class, which I'm going to be doing next week or in two weeks, I don't know, somewhere around there. And we do our first, you know, the syllabus week. It's the worst, you know, when you get the syllabus, there's all like the, here's all the homework you're going to be doing. You know, I've got to give the big old, you know, textbook. Yep, you're going to read that cover to cover. You will read it. Um, but, but, but this verse, right, verse 18, that we may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, right? He's praying for us to grasp, to be able to fully understand how wide and how long and how high the depth of love of Christ is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, right? He's saying, hey, you can't know this, but you can know. I'm telling you, we've seen it. We've, we've witnessed this, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. So what does the fullness of God look like? What does the full measure of God's love look like? Well, I have to go to Revelation chapter 7, 9, and it may not be a very uh, well-known uh, passage, at least maybe even book. I know Revelation might kind of scare people a little bit, but I, uh, this is an amazing verse, Revelation 7, 9. It's the Apostle John talking here, and he says, After this I looked, and he's having these visions and apocalyptic images of, of the end, of the, of the end times in the throne room. And he says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe and nation and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus. And so we can look at all these texts, we can look at these passages of unity and what it is, and these, and this in particular, right? This is this is at the end. This is in glory. When, when, when time is no more, and, and, and we're gonna see all the people groups, and again, we don't see a melting pot. Right? We, see, we see a bowl of chili. We see everyone that has their own identity and who they are. And so therefore, we can look at this and we can say, God is decidedly not racist. And yet at the same time, we can say, God is decidedly not colorblind. I, I don't know who was the first one to use that phrase of like, no, man, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Right? We, bleed the same, we bleed the same color. I think, I'm sure they meant well. But listen, people have identity in their skin color. We do. And the majority of us in this room that are white, that's our identity. And that's okay to have an identity, right? We're the beans. And other people are the meat. And other people are the spices and the herbs and all these different things. And the tortilla chips and the sour cream and all these things that, that come together so beautifully. And yet they're all distinct in nature. God is decidedly not racist, but God is decidedly not colorblind. And we can look at the entirety of Scripture and say that the color of your skin is not a result of the fall. He's not undoing skin color in glory. He's saying, no, 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 we're going to maintain that because I want to highlight the unity that we have in me and in Christ. So then going on into chapter 4, he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And again, just in the context, he's just saying unity in the church, unity in the church, unity in the church. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. And he's going to list seven of these ones. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the Lord of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you have been called into one hope, which with you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And again, to quote my, my friend again here, these seven ones aren't sameness, but oneness. It's not sameness. Right again, it's not, it's not a melting pot. It's bold chili. So what? All right, so, so that's the scripture. Where do, we, where do we go from here? What, is, what does it mean to me? What, what can we do? What are we doing? What are the steps that Hope Community is taking? Well, one really big one that I think that we're doing globally is that we're part of Acts 29. Uh, it's, a, it's a church planning network, and so we are part of that. One really cool fact, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but Hope Community Church, our church, we're part of this, um, that we were actually uh, just nominated or voted on or whatever, that we are in the top 100 most multiplying churches in the country, right? That, that's huge, right? We, we're the numbers. We're the people. They're all over the, all over the, the metro, <laughs> and that's what's beautiful, right? And I, and I love my, my boss, Pastor Steve. His, his vision is the language that he uses, that we don't build dams, right? To, we're going to build some dam, and we're going to make this huge, this huge church, and we're just going to build our buildings, and we're going to tear these old buildings down, and build some new mega stadium thing, and we're just going to, that's the way we're going to do it. No, his idea is to make rivers so that we can, and our churches can infiltrate different smaller pockets of communities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that a mega church just can't. I'm not dogging mega churches. Don't, don't hear that. But I, I love the fact that we can be part of this church planning network. And our tagline in Acts 29 is that we are a global, diverse family of churches that plant churches that plant churches. Uh, the CEO is in, in London, and so you kind of have to hear it with a British accent. Don't worry, I'm not going not gonna to try that right now. And, and honestly, a couple years ago, that was just a tagline. But that's changed. Something has shifted in our, in our, in our method, in our mission, to actually be a global, diverse church planting network of churches that plant churches that plant churches, and it's no longer just the tagline. And so I'm going to play a video. I don't, I, this is, I, I played one last week, which is odd. I, I don't ever do this, but I think this actually uh, captures what Acts 29 is about and therefore what our church is about. Well, we are about our people, and so there's a, a portion of your tithe that goes to Acts 29. And I'm thankful to be part of that and the network that I have within that and the brotherhood and sisterhood within Acts 29. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this, this video. It's about four minutes long. Um, uh, the, the woman doing the reading, she's actually uh, a member of Doug Logan's church. And so um, just listen to what she says, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go from there. We are X29, and so we want to see churches planted. We want to see them planted in all kinds of places for all people in all situations and circumstances. We want to serve those who plant. We want to resource those who plant. We want to help the seed become established. But what if we got to water it, nurture it, and watched with bated breath as the Lord provides the growth? What if the darkness was invaded and gospel bridgeheads established which penetrated deep into enemy terrain? What if we sank wells? What if we raised children, fed families, gave hope, showed joy, displayed love, and watched as light was dispersed as far as the eye of faith could see? What if 
all of this happened as churches were being planted among the whoever, wherever, and whenever. What if we got to see the unthinkable, not only thought, but done? What if we saw the unbelievable not merely believed, but performed? What if the earth blossomed and bloomed with gospel fruit as Eden was reestablished wherever Christ's name was proclaimed? What if disciples were made as sinners were made into disciples? What if we got to see singles placed in families and the homeless find a place of refuge? What if we got to witness the hungry enjoy a banquet of grace at the table of the blessed and the thirsty guzzle at the fountain of God's free mercy? What if the sovereign Lord established a people for himself in the nooks and crannies of every community? What if he revealed his glory to them and displayed his glory through them? What if new churches were built in every existing city on earth? What if there were cities without walls and cities into which the guilty run to find refuge from the avenger and find forgiveness for their sins? What if there were cities without exploitation in which no poor could be found, for there was sweet and generous equality? What if these cities were places where the aged could walk without fear and the young embraced without suspicion? Wouldn't these cities be set on a hill as we shone like stars in a universe? What if we knew nothing of geographical boundaries and cared even less about national pride. What if we heeded afresh the directives of our king and went to the nations? What if we laid our lives on a line and placed all of our resources at his disposal? What if we took our time, our money, our homes, our affections and invested them into the kingdom of God? Wouldn't there be such an eternal return on that investment? that it will fuel our joy for a million years? Wouldn't it be sweet to savor those what ifs becoming a delectable what is to the glory of God? The truth is, we are seeing churches planted, planted in all kinds of places among all kinds of people in all circumstances and situations. We're serving those who plant, and we're resourcing them too. We are X29. This is our opportunity. This is our God-gifted moment. This is our privilege, and this is our joy. So that's X29. That's who, who we're part of. That's where we're a network with them. I, I did my assessment uh, through Acts 29 to be able to plant uh, a church and start a church. And, and that's what we do, uh, that we assess people and we, we, uh, we train them and we make sure that they're ready to be able to go into the world and share the gospel. And, and it's happening. And so even if you're, you're like, man, I've been coming to Hope forever. I didn't even know this was a thing. It is a thing. And, and we're, we're able to be part of that. And so you should be able to rejoice in that, that, we're, that, that our funds, our money, that we're pouring into a, a network like this to be able to share the gospel all over the world. That there's new uh, co collectives. One that I'm a fan of is called the Rural Collective, um, that, that we're trying to get into communities and neighborhoods where there's, you know, uh, you know un, unincorporated, right? There's just no, like there's 10 people live here. We want to plant churches there. 
Um, and so Tom Desmond, a friend of mine, he lives uh, kind of by Wausau, Ant Antigo, Ant Antigo, Antigo, uh, Wisconsin, uh, one of those little towns that nobody's ever heard of, right? Because he is there planting a church, you know, in a city of 500. Um, and, uh, and we have church in hard places with Tower St. Clair, and, and uh, we have a new uh, Islam collective where churches are being planted over in Islamic countries, and, and, it's, and that, that we're part of that. Okay, so I want you to be aware of that. Okay, so what can you do? Maybe there's more you can do with Acts 29. I'd love to talk to you more about that if you're interested in, in something like that. Secondly, though, I want to talk about locally. Uh, talk about partnerships and relationships. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about just different um, uh, uh, groups that we're going to be getting involved with just right here in a neighborhood and community and even, even building of how can we really care for the poor? How can we care for people who aren't like us and maybe people that don't even like us? All right, how can we do that? We want to talk about more diversity, whether it's in our worship or uh, what we're going to be calling gospel expressions growing up. Uh, we used to call them specials, uh, right? So when the offering was being passed out, there would be the offertory. But then when somebody would just do something, they would just they would sing a song. It was called a special. Well, we want to talk about that a little bit more, but have maybe broaden that horizon. And so uh, some of you may know Mike Kelly. He usually is in the sound sound booth, and I think he's downtown today. But um, uh, a while back, a couple months ago, downtown, he did a spoken word, and it's beautiful. And so that's something I'd love for him to be able to do, maybe a spoken word, and, and we can broaden our horizons. And so if you say, man, I've got this thing, I've, I've always wanted to do this reading, I've always wanted to do this poetry, I've always wanted to sing this song, whatever it may be, I want, I want to entertain that idea, all right? Um, and so that's something that we can start doing locally. And then finally, just individually, um, I, th I, think, I think it's simple, at least for me it is, and I think this is my own heart coming out, but just I need to repent of my supremacy and embrace the supremacy of Christ. Um, that I, I need to get over myself. I need to have costly love in my own life that points, points to Jesus. And so in application, just application, and I left this vague on purpose, right? Well, what do you need to do? It might be I need to repent. It might need to be I just need to pray that God will cause healing to happen within our community, in our country, whatever it may be. It may be that you need to get more involved on certain little things and, and whatever we're doing and partnerships that we're going to be starting here uh, in, in Lower Town. And, and, and so what, what, do you, what do you need to do? And so just pray about that as we enter into a time of communion. And so uh, before I, we, we get into communion, I do want to just, just end with, with these, these verses, right? This is Ephesians, kind of right in the middle. I skipped these verses in, in chapter 3. Because we can look at these, this, this topic and say, this is a really big topic. I don't even know how we can even begin to go about this. But I love that right in the middle of talking about and preaching about and praying about unity, the Apostle Paul says, now to him, to Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Right? So we can, we can pray for healing. We can pray for unity. We can pray for those walls of hostility just even within our culture to be torn down, and yet he can do more than we would even know how to ask or even just begin to imagine. And according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we are stuck with a bowl of chili. There's a pot of chili. We have all these different ingredients that come together, but one thing that I really love about chili, you can't microwave it. You can't microwave it. This isn't something that we can just boop, 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 done, right? It's, it's, we're, hey, look, we've, we've fixed it, right? Well, Jesus fixed it 2,000 years ago, and it's still cooking, all right? So every analogy breaks down, but we can say, man, maybe the Holy Spirit's the fire, right, that, that fuels us, that heats us up, right? And Jesus is the pot that holds everything together, and the Father is the, the chef, I don't, whatever. It's a really bad analogy, right? But what I'm trying to say is that we can't do this overnight. Does that mean we sit back and do nothing? No. I think we do something 
But maybe we never actually get to taste the chili. Maybe we actually never really get to physically eat it. But maybe our kids can. Maybe our grandkids can. And that's the goal. So to him who can do immeasurably more than we could ever think or ask, I pray that he would be able to do that in our midst, in our church, in our city, and in the, in the metro area as we're part of that as well. So we, uh, we are going to enter into a time of communion. We do this every, every week, and, and we're not going to stop doing that. Um, and so uh, we, all we would ask when we do communion is that you'd be a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay. Uh, we want you, and we want to invite you to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, that you've never had communion, maybe today could be your first time to say, I didn't realize Jesus was about unity. I didn't realize that he gave his life for me and my sins. I didn't realize that. So as we take the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ, and we look at take the juice that represents his, his blood that was shed for us, that body and that blood was shed for us to get over our racism, right? That blood was shed for us to be able to have unity within this church and within these walls because that is who his bride is and that is who our God is. Uh, there is a gluten-free option on this side if that is, if that is necessary. And so I invite the worship team to come on up and we'll, we'll sing and we'll pray and we'll have uh, communion together uh, as we close this service. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your... your your word. I thank you for scripture, and I thank you that, I thank you that it gets to the heart of, of our own issues, that we can look at this ancient text and think, oh, it's, just, it's not for us anymore. It has nothing to do with me, and yet it does. But the same issues of superiority and, and racism that were going on 2,000 years ago in the early church are the same things that are going on now. And so, God, we haven't figured it out. I don't think we will figure it out, at least not in our lifetime. But, God, would you give us the power and would your spirit empower us and enable us to be able to be that church, at least for coming generations, to be able to speak truth and love into all ethnicities, not just people who are like us, but people who aren't like us and even people who don't like us. So, God, I pray now that as we take these elements that you'd be honored and glorified, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.